0: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank my listeners who come from around the world that uh, listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today joining me on the line from San Francisco is Larry Brilliant, actually Dr. Larry Brilliant. And he has a new book out, believe it or not, called Sometimes Brilliant, The Impossible Adventure of a Spiritual Seeker, and visionary physician who helped conquer the worst disease in history. Uh, Larry, welcome to Inside Personal
1: Growth. Greg, thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you for being on. I mean, this book has great accolades. Uh, You've got tons of people that know you. You are quite the philanthropist, um, quite the visionary, and it's an honor to have you on. I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you. Larry Brilliant, MD, uh, MPH, is a pioneering physician, visionary technologist, and global philanthropist, uh, the first executive director of Google.org. He currently serves as the chair of the Skoll Global Threats Fund. Larry co-founded the SIVA Foundation, whose programs and partners have restored sight in more than four million blind people in dozens of countries. He has worked with four presidents of the UN, and the g8 and chaired the national biosurveillance advisory subcommittee he also co-founded well one of the first digital social networks the well and he and his wife and i want to make sure i pronounce your wife's name correct you want to do that for me Girija, Girija. uh they live in northern california so um this is uh no pun on words but a brilliant book it's a great Uh, book about your history and you know you mention in the author note in the book that the heart of your book is about two woven miracles you had an Indian guru teacher that predicted that you would work on a major project to eradicate smallpox if you would tell our listeners a little bit more about the guru because I'm actually familiar with him and your role in the and your role in the eradication of smallpox in india at the time
1: Oh i'd be happy to um, so neem karoli baba who we called maharaji uh, he had a lot of names uh, he he lived uh, for the most part in an ashram that was right at the corner if you took a map of india and uh, nepal tibet china and you looked at where those lines come together, and you put your finger there. That's where the that's where his ashram would be. And it was called Kenshi, which means scissors, because the river that wound through all those mountains bifurcated the land that the ashram was on, like a scissors would cut it. And um, you probably, some of you, I think, Greg, you were referring to the interviews, the wonderful interviews you did with Ram Dass, uh, oh. Danny Goleman. Um, Steve Jobs, Mirabai, so many other people that have passed through your world uh, were disciples, uh, students, devotees of of Neem Karoli Baba, as was I. And I got there uh, by uh, kind of being a radical doctor in the 60s and then jumping on a psychedelic bus, living as a hippie, and then living in an ashram. That was the normal career path in the 60s. Sounds yeah, a little laugh, strange laugh. now, but that was, that was that was that was your medical career path, you know. And,
0: well, for Larry, it was, brilliant it was. I'm not certain for very many others, but you certainly more more than you would think. Anybody uh-huh. that hangs out with Wavy Gravy has got to have a pretty interesting career path. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wavy is my best friend and I'm going to see him tonight because we're uh, actually Saturday night because we have a benefit for the Seva Foundation
0: well you know um, I got to tell you something just as a side note there is a good friend of mine who knew Wavy Gravy from um, the days back in New York with uh, why am I can't think of the name of the, the the big the big event you guys had up there why, why am I just going blank Woodstock. On Woodstock and you know he would talk about him all the time and I kept saying to him said, so Gary, who the heck is this wavy, gravy guy? <laughs> so why don't you tell us? You know, because when you went to India, too, you also said that you got it, you, your travels that you met. Well, you call them the Das brothers. You say that these are Westerners. who took the Indian names who arrive in India on their spiritual surf. Um, you know, all, all of these people have huge influence on you, your spiritual path look, you're a little Jewish boy, um, you know, and I know a lot of Jews go to India and end up uh, picking up, you know, kind of that total, total Eastern philosophy. So Yeah, like that, that was more. also
1: part of the career path. <laughs> but Wavy, as you, you mentioned, Wavy, he was Hugh Romney. And, and given that uh, Bob Dylan uh, just won the Nobel Prize, I think it's, it's yeah. just interesting uh, to mention that they were roommates when uh, Wavy was Hugh Romney, a beat poet, and Bob uh, Zimmerman was a struggling uh, troubadour. And uh, uh, Bob Dylan wrote Hard Rain's Gonna Fall on Wavy Gravy, Hugh Romney's typewriter on Beaker Street. That's just a Mm. funny little uh, anecdote. And Wavy, of course, is a clown and uh, runs a children's camp called Camp Winter Rainbow. That's off in the Redwoods. And Wavy and his wife, Jahanara, um, are co-founders of the Seba Foundation, with my wife and I and Ramdas, and Danny and Mira and so many other wonderful people that you know about. Um, Lots of doctors, lots of young people. How Uh, old is Wavy now? Wavy is, I'm going to say, 84, 83, 84. He looks great in
0: the pictures in your book.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah there's a there's a wonderful picture of wavy wearing his clown um costume carrying a sign uh, showing the signs which was, nuclear war is bad for business uh that that that's that's his republican uh pitch
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well we're all in for a very interesting ride here in the next four years. But I'm not yeah, going to get into I, I, political commentary because, you know, if my I don't know how many of my listeners are Republican, but the reality is is that I think we need to do away with, uh, with parties and we need to just really work for a better global peace and harmony overall. And I just think that's where people miss the boat.
1: <laughs> well, actually, so, so, you know, I think the book uh, kind of, didn't intend to address that subject of Trump's presidency or the moment that we are in time. Um, I started writing this book 40 years ago, and my goal initially was to memorialize, as you say, these two miracles that, that we could eradicate smallpox, a disease which is so long and has killed so many people, uh, 500 million in the 20th century alone. In fact, during the summer of love in San Francisco when we were all cavorting, Three million children, mostly, died all over the, the globe. It's not that it's that ancient. Um, it it may very well have been one of the biblical plagues. It may have been the disease that killed Pharaoh Ramses V. Last week, a mummy in Vilnius, Lithuania, underneath a a church uh, in the crypt, was found uh, that had smallpox uh, viruses in the lesions on their their body. These, of course, were not active smallpox, but enough that you could prove that that was smallpox. And we we eradicated it. It disappeared. And, and that only could happen because in the middle of the Cold War, when Russians and Americans had 400, four, sorry, had 40,000 nuclear weapons pointed at each other, and half a dozen of those accidentally got sent out at one point or another aimed at one or another of us and had to be called back. 40,000 nuclear weapons, enough to destroy the world. At that moment, still, Americans and Russians worked together to eradicate smallpox. At that moment, doctors from 170 countries worked together. And, and Greg, there were Muslim doctors working with Christian doctors and Jewish doctors and Hindu doctors and Buddhist doctors and Baha'i doctors and Shinto doctors <laughs> And there were people who were black and white and every shade of the rainbow, all working together, men, women, all working together from all over the world. And in this moment, when we, many of us at least, feel like the political conversation, the election has made us feel like, my gosh, we can't do anything. We're just incompetent. My gosh, we have to retreat to whatever our group is, white or black or Mexican, and And that we can't come together as a whole. This book, I hope, stands as evidence against that and and talks not about the individuals, not about Trump or any individual, but it, it, it speaks against this idea that we are so incompetent we only can live with people who look like us and that the idea of working globally has disappeared. We have to think of competing and fighting. That's not the way it works. In order to accomplish a grand thing like eradicating polio, eradicating smallpox, later maybe eradicating malaria, we have to believe that we are all in it together. And I'll just add one more thing and then I'll stop. And as proof that we're all in it together, that no amount of wealth, no matter how many billions of dollars you have, no matter how big your wall is or how high your tower is, you can't avoid dying from a disease like smallpox, a new one that jumps from an animal to a human for which there is no vaccine or antiviral. And as proof, I list two dozen kings and queens and emperors, rulers, absolute monarchs who died of smallpox. And they had everything. They were, they were the equivalent of the Medici's or the titans of technology or real estate yet your wealth and your fame and your power can't protect you. The only way to protect you from smallpox is to eradicate it from the entire world. You have to fix the public health system for the poorest and the most vulnerable in order the rich, powerful can also be safe. And that, that meaning of the book came out very recently. It wasn't my intention But I hope that that's the way it reads. Greg, are you there? Did I lose you?
0: You there? I'm here. Yeah. I say, at least that for people who are aware that there's an elevation of consciousness in society, that virtually this book addressed is um, not intentionally. Uh, coming together to solve these problems, which is what you did. And I love the quote that you had in the book it, from Ram Dass. It was, faith is not a belief. Faith is what is left when your beliefs have been blown to hell. That's and right. and and I think, you know, that quote that he said really kind of says it all. And I want to take you back a little bit in time because your journey started, in, started way, way before 69. But it started in 69. When the Indians occupied Alcatraz Island, you went over there to deliver a baby. I was actually watching your uh, your video, the TED Talk, and after you come off the island, uh, basically everybody in the brother wants to interview you. Tell us a little bit about because that's what started this bus trip. That's what started you on your adventure. That's what kind of started a lot of this, didn't it?
1: Well, you know, um, yes, but just shortly before that, uh, Ramdas had been speaking in San Francisco at the Unitarian Church. Uh, and uh, he spoke Thursday night, three Thursday nights in a row. He had just come back from India, he had just come back from meeting Maharaji, and had just been given the name of Ramdas. And three Thursday nights in a row, he spoke at the Unitarian Church. And I was an intern working in a hospital a couple blocks away. And I only had one night, one day off every week, and it just happened to be Thursday. So for three consecutive Thursdays, Girija and I, she was then Elaine, we went to listen to this wonderful man around us, and he talked about a book he was going to write. It was going to be called Be Here Now. You mm-hmm. could leave $3.33 in a little tin outside the door, and he would mail you a copy of, of that book when it was done. But he spoke in a way that made you feel that he had indeed learned something in India. He had a searchlight in the middle of his forehead, and it was the first time that I had been exposed to someone who was on fire with a, a love for the Spirit, searching for the Spirit, trying to articulate
0: well, I think I think he and Timothy Leary were attempting to search something through drugs, and obviously we know through the use of LSD and so on that this sent him on the path to India, and many of the others as well, right? I mean, let's face it, at this time in life, uh, you put all the convergence together of history, uh, you know, the hippie era, as you were saying throughout the book, that you were the hippie doctor. Uh, I love your recount when you go back to your mother and you pull up with the car and everybody's trying to get in the house to get, you know, to take a shower and get cleaned up and your mother's like, no, 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 I don't want to let all these people in. <laughs> I have a little Jewish mother, so I know that they, I definitely know that. She just passed away two years ago at 93. Oh God but you
1: bless know,
0: you. You were mentioned in the book that you were named the guru commissioner when on this bus because of your skepticism about people that worship, worship stone idols. That's what you said.
1: This well, it's true. I mean, you set, asked... Uh,
0: you said it didn't set well with somebody who had been brought up as Jewish. How or, and when do you ultimately reconcile your spiritual knowing? What What happens to you where you've, you've come to this point, the, traveling through India, being in the ashram, that, you know, Larry Brilliant now has become... He's he's got it spiritually. What happened?
1: Well, I think that every one of us from the three great monotheistic traditions—Judaism, Christianity, Islam—recoil at the idea of uh, worshiping an idol, um, graven image, bending down to a stone carving, touching the feet of a guru. These are not things that sit well with. Um, our traditions and how we are led to believe. And so when we, when George and I, we got on this movie caravan after Alcatraz and we got on a psychedelic bus and we drove from San Francisco with a bunch of rock bands and doing rock concerts and we wound up doing a Pink Floyd concert in Canterbury. And then we got a couple of other buses and we drove from London to Kathmandu. We went through Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, India, Nepal, and we wound up living in this ashram. And uh, when I first walked in there, I saw people bending down to idols, to, we now call them Murtis, to uh, uh, carved images of Vishnu and Shiva and Mm -hmm. the mother. And it just, it was weird. And then I saw everybody rushing, you know, it was, it was like a scrum, like a rock and roll scrum around Maharaji. Everybody wanted to get to touch his feet. And I thought my wife had been captured by a cult. I almost started <laughs> looking up deprogrammers to see if you could find a deprogrammer in the Himalayas. And um, I decided I was actually going to leave because it wasn't for me. And, and the, the day I packed my, my, my meager backpack with all of my, my belongings and my, I got, you know, one of the sleeping bags and got it all packed and got the taxi ready. And, and Gary just said to me, are you going to least say goodbye to him? And I remember saying, yeah, I don't like him. I really wish you'd come with me and not stay here with him, but I am not without manners. <laughs> I'll go say goodbye to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I told the taxi driver, well, you don't have to wait long. I'm just going to go in there and say goodbye. And I walked into the ashram, and Girj and I went up to the tucket, the little um, bed that he would sit on, and we we were very early, by chance, we were the first ones there. By chance, we we were right in front of that tucket. And the villagers had gathered flowers and fruits to arrange in a mandala a sacred image on top of that bed. The image that they had done was one word, and it was the name of God, the name that by which Maharaji called God, which was Ram, R-A-M, but it was in Devanagari script. And just as we got there, one of the parts of the name of God, an apple, rolled off the bed and started to roll away. And even from my monotheistic background, I knew the name of God should never be broken. It mm-hmm. should never be incomplete. So I reached down to get the apple to complete the name of God. And when I was reached out, my hand was there. I had the apple in my hand. The doors opened and Neem baba burst out like an opera singer and stepped on my hand and pinned me to the ground. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't move. And that was exactly the position I never wanted to be in touching his feet. And he started to laugh and giggle and reach over and play with my beard. And he called me Dr. America. Mm -hmm. He said, Dr. America, are you mad at me? You didn't come here yesterday. Where were you? Oh, yes, I know. You were by the lake. What were you doing? Were you swimming? Were you skiing? Oh, no, no, no. Were you talking to God? And I had been. Were you praying for a sign? And I had been. And when he said that, with his hand on my foot, with his foot on my hand, and laughing, and he looked at me, and I, you know, you you keep batting away these ideas as a scientist. The first idea that comes in is this is a hoax. The second idea is somebody must have told him, but I hadn't told anybody that I was at the lake praying for a sign. hadn't told Geragim. But, you know, maybe somebody could have noticed me. There were not very many Westerners around. You know, you, you bat away these ideas. Could he possibly be a holy man? No, you're that silly. He doesn't look like that. What? And you're looking, I'm looking at him, and he opened his eyes, and you could see in that instant that this was someone who loved every person in the world. And even that I could bat away, Greg, because I could say, well, he's supposed to love everybody in the world, a rabbi, a priest, a minister, a lama, a guru, they're all supposed to love everybody in the world. But suddenly then I loved everybody. I felt love for everyone, people I hated, I didn't like, I had fought with in the anti war movement, civil rights movement. I, I felt love and compassion for everyone and I was I I can't even begin to explain. We call it kundalini, but I, I felt this tingling going up my spine and I didn't know that this body, my body, was wired to feel that much compassion and that much love. I'd never felt it before. Well, that
0: was that was your moment, Larry. I mean, really, you know, when you look at your life's journey, and you're very well documented in this book, and that's what I encourage my listeners to go out and get a copy of Larry's book, because if you really want to not only just hear the story about the eradication of, of smallpox, but really look at an unconventional person who spent their life in service of others. Um, you certainly are th- that person. And I think that speaks loudly, as you were saying about in the book, it wasn't intentional in these times to have actually articulated that, but that's the way it comes across. We so much need so many more Larry Brilliants in the world. You've, you know, it's an honor to meet you telephonically here. I hope I get to meet you uh, literally in person and spend some more time with you and sit down and interview you again for for this book. But um, you truly are someone that everybody should follow and know. Where do you want my listeners to go to learn more about you, the book? Um, and everything that uh, you'd like them to know. I know you've got Shiva. Uh, I went to that website where you're helping blind people, uh, or you're helping people alleviate the fact that they might become blind. Um, What's the best place you'd direct people? I went, uh, we'll put a link also to the TED Talk, which I think was excellent, excellent. Any place else?
1: Well, I can certainly go to uh, savea.org. They can go to uh, the website that HarperCollins set up for for the book, which is larrybrilliant.com. dot com. Okay. Um, either of those would would uh, would find its way to me, um, and I'd love to hear from your listeners. It would be a real privilege. And okay. uh, if they like the book, I hope that they'll you know they'll write about it on Amazon or tell other people about it because uh, it the, we we need to have hope and. The the feeling that we've been through worse times than now, and that we can get through this. We will get through this.
0: Well, with visionaries like you and leaders like you, uh, the google.org focus, um, these corporations that that are actually socially responsible and looking for ways to put their money, and you being in the right place, obviously up there in Silicon Valley with connections to many of the folks i think you've got an opportunity to continue to make a huge impact and i know that you will i can just see that by um everything you've written in the book and the way in which you've operated your life um you're a beautiful soul it's wonderful to have met you i'm going to invite you to come back in and do another half an hour interview uh regarding the book i'd love to do that and if you'd take me up on that we'll we'll get it back out again to the listeners.
1: I'll, I'll certainly take take you up on it, Greg. And thank you very much for what you do.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I mean, we were talking about this this morning. My wife says, you know, you've done 615 interviews. And I said, yeah, I don't always hear from people. But she said, you know, if you really look at the body of work with the people you've done, that is part of what you're supposed to be doing to help the people know about the Larry Brilliance of the world and the other people that are out there. And I feel it's an honor to actually have this position and be able to do it. Amen. Thanks for being on, and we will be back in touch again real soon.
1: Thank you for having me.